0: welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a member of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and our connection to our own humanity. This is episode 95. It's another joint episode with Tudor Times on Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester, and of course, he's the possible soulmate to Queen Elizabeth. First, before we get into that, a bit of admin. So I still have some copies of the Tudor Planner left. That's the gorgeous monthly and weekly diary filled with Tudor history, listening lists wrapped up in a gorgeous cover. People are calling it exquisite, which makes me so proud. Depending on when you listen to this, you likely won't get it in time for Christmas, but it could make a lovely Twelfth night present or you can simply get it as the gift that you would have liked for Santa to have brought you. And I'm now discounting them by $10 since they won't arrive in time for Christmas. If you enter the code gift for me, all one word, gift for me at checkout, you'll save $10. And by mid-January, they're all going to be gone until next year. So make sure you get yours soon. Next, I want to thank the lovely patrons of this show who help to keep it independent. Thank you to Kathy, Cynthia, Jurgen, Olivia, Al, Ashley, Kendra, Anne Boleyn. I love that. Thank you, Jessica. Anne Boleyn. Elizabeth, another Cynthia, and Judith, also Selene. And if I butchered that, I'm so sorry. You'll have to email me and tell me the right way. And thank you. Lara, Candace, Kaylee, Ian, Barbara, Shar, Kiva, Amy, Allison, Joanne, Kathy, Christine, Anetta, Andrea, Catherine, Candace, Rebecca from Tudor's Dynasty, and Shandor. You're all awesome. As I'm reading your names right now, if you could see me, I'm actually reaching out my arms, giving you all a big hug because I'm so grateful to you. So thank you so much. I really am. Literally, I'm reaching out my arms, giving you a hug. So thank you. To learn more about how you can become someone on my super awesome list and get a hug from me every time I do a podcast, you can go to patreon.com EnglandCast. Again, patreon.com EnglandCast. Or if you go to EnglandCast.com, there's a donate and support area too. Whichever's easiest. So now let me introduce you to Melita. Melita Thomas is the co-founder and editor of Tudor Times, a website devoted to Tudor and Stuart history from the period of 1485 to 1625. You can find it at tutortimes.co.uk. She's also the author of a recent book, called The King's Pearl about Mary the First. So you should check that out. Melita has always been fascinated by history ever since she saw the 1970s series Elizabeth R with Glenda Jackson. She also contributes articles to BBC History Extra and Britain magazine. What can you tell us? There's so many different myths and stories we hear about him. What can you tell us about his life? He He kind of grew up with Elizabeth. Is that, is that?
1: Yeah, that seems to be the case. He was he was probably one of the young boys around uh, Elizabeth's half-brother Edward, well Prince Edward as he was then. It was a custom for royalty to have other friends and family around them so they didn't actually grow up by themselves. And because Edward and Elizabeth spent a fair amount of time housed in the same royal nursery palaces she would have met robert you know as as part of the household i think there's a record where they one of them refers to having known the other since they were 8 years old and then later when in in during her sister's reign they clearly kept in touch Um, Robert was in prison for a while at the same time as Elizabeth. They were both in the Tower of London following Wyatt's, well, her following Wyatt's rebellion and him following the uh, failed coup of 1553. Uh, There's no evidence that they met then, but it seems to have formed a, a bit of a sort of bond of experience between them. And then... During the period that she was um, hoping, no doubt, to become her sister's heir, Uh, they they seem to have been in touch. Although there's no details other than that he sold a piece of land uh, for her benefit at some point that she was grateful for later. Uh, He was almost the first act when she became queen was to appoint him as her master of the horse, uh, which suggests, uh, you, you know, quite a close friendship and certainly uh, an appreciation of his, his, his skills in the duties of a master of the horse, which he undertook uh, extremely well.
0: And so, tell me about his life aside from Elizabeth, because he got married, and presumably he did other things. He
1: did, yeah. Although he he did spend a huge amount of time with Elizabeth. He she he was definitely her closest friend for all of all of her life. I mean, they had quarrels and fallings out, and uh, particularly over his his second marriage. But they you can you can see in the letters to each other that there was a real bond of affection between them, and he did spend a great deal of time at the court with her. So his first marriage took place before Elizabeth became queen in the reign of Edward the Sixth when he married a young woman named Amy Robsart. Uh, she was a, the daughter of a well-to-do Norfolk gentleman, but she wasn't of any particularly high rank and they were about the same age and it's likely that it was it was a love match or a, or a lust match because if you look at the spouses that her, his father chose for Robert's siblings they were of much much higher rank so uh, Amy was a bit of an outlier um but she was you know comfortably off you know there's no real information about their early relationship she visited him in the tower he was allowed to have visitors um when he was in the tower in Mary's reign but they never had any children uh now whether that was her or him isn't isn't clear because he did have a couple of children although considering um that he was married at least twice and possibly a third time uh two children seems seems quite low so perhaps he was um...
0: the issue was on his side just a bit
1: perhaps the issue yes. was on his side yes yes, <laughs> yes
0: once elizabeth became queen and he was master of the horse well, what did he do kind of professionally leading up to becoming master of the horse. And obviously, when he was in the tower, he was in the tower. But before then, like, what did he do?
1: Well, I mean, people didn't do anything in in our sense. I mean, he had his father, um, well, his wife had money. uh, And his father had settled an estate on him in Norfolk in the 15, uh, you know, about the time he got married. So like all gentlemen, he lived off his rents. He. Again, like like most gentlemen, he he practiced his military skills. He was uh, he led a a, a a troop of soldiers um, under uh, King Philip during the French Wars in 1557. He was present at the Battle of Saint Quentin, uh, which was a, a a big Anglo-Spanish victory and apparently acquitted himself very well there. Philip was so impressed with him that he actually sent him home with the news to Queen Mary. Um, so he was he was rehabilitating himself in Mary's reign by um, being a supporter of, of King Philip.
0: There's the obvious question about his relationship with Elizabeth, and I, I, I'm sure that there was more to him than that. So I want to talk more about him besides that, but you can't talk about him without talking about that.
1: So I I think, I mean, what he did do once he, he didn't immediately become her a privy councillor. So he was, he was taken up with being master of a horse, which was actually quite a big job because of course, everything depended on, on horse transport. And Uh, the master of the horse was responsible for progresses and processions for uh, finding the queen's horses. She was a great hunter, like all her family, Uh, looking after or ensuring that she had enough horses, that there were enough horses for her ladies in waiting, that um, baggage was transported, you know, from place to place. So, So it was quite a a wide-ranging role. He had to buy horses, and that's not something that you can really delegate. You're either a good judge of horses, or you're not. You can't really get anybody else to do it, and quite, um, you know, quite so well as a as an experienced person can do it themselves. Um, once he became a privy councillor in 1565, he was actually one of the most active councillors. He attended more meetings than anybody other than Cecil. He took his duties very seriously as a councillor, and he was. Busy amassing a, you know, land as well. So he would have spent plenty of time on managing his state. And then uh, in the 1580s, he became lieutenant governor of the Netherlands. He was representing Elizabeth, uh, leading the English troops who were supporting the, um, the 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 Protestant United Provinces in their bid to at least obtain religious freedom from Philip of Spain. There were different views on what they should be doing. Uh, Robert, like many of the um, more Puritan members of Elizabeth's ministry, wanted to support the Netherlands in throwing off Spain altogether, whereas Elizabeth wanted Philip to give tolerance of the Protestant religion. She wasn't really that interested in overthrowing fellow monarchs because of the very poor example that that would set. He wasn't terribly effective as lieutenant governor. He couldn't get on with the the Dutch terribly well, and he took a higher position from them than Elizabeth had had wanted him to take, and there was a huge row over that. So, he, you know, he was a pretty pretty active chap in in government and politics.
0: So then, were there always? Were there always rumors about the two of them and their relationship? Or at what point did that start?
1: almost, well, it, within within a few months of her becoming queen, uh, although he was still married at that time, his, his wife, they, they were only in their late 20s. From from Within a few weeks of her accession, he was seen to be beside her all of the time. And there were rumours that they were having an affair, which would have been bad enough if he'd been single. But the fact that he was a married man made it even worse. She swore that, that they never slept together. And I would have thought, given her determination to remain queen, that that is probably true. But, of course, one can't be absolutely certain. I mean, it would have been such a hostage to Fortune if mm-hmm. if she had slept with him. I mean, Elizabeth wasn't the most trusting person in the world. How could she ever have trusted him? Uh, it just mm. yeah, it doesn't seem very likely. But they mm. danced together, they sang together, they hunted together. He spent time in her private apartments with her. I mean, according to her, they were always chaperoned, but possibly not that closely, and it soon became rumored that they were lovers, and that his wife was looking very carefully at what she ate. So it it, it wasn't long before people thought that Lady Dudley was going to come to a nasty, nasty end. Uh, there was a mm-hmm. story that she was ill with a quote malady in the breast, but then another another report said she was not ill, and that you know that, they, that the stories were just being put about so that if she died, uh, people wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. And then in the in September of fifteen sixty. Uh, she was found dead at the bottom of a flight of stairs with her neck broken. And
0: do you have any thoughts on this mystery? I don't think we're going to solve it here, but what uh, no. what are your thoughts on oh, it? I mean,
1: what a very interesting book on the topic, uh, the, uh, Death and the Virgin by Chris Skidmore, was written oh, four or five years ago now, I think, because the actual original inquest papers were found in the National Archives in 2008, uh, hmm. which shed a bit more light on it. I would have thought it's unlikely that Robert murdered her on the basis that, you know, how, how likely was it that Elizabeth would marry a man who had murdered his wife? I mean, it, it, again, the, the, the likelihood of her being overthrown would be very high. Although, perhaps you you can say we're reading that with hindsight, thinking about what happened to Mary, Queen of Scots with the death of Darnley, maybe, you know, that hadn't mm-hmm. happened. So maybe it wasn't seen that it, it would have had quite the effect that it that, that had on Mary's life. He, I mean, he could have done it. Um, there's, he certainly, all the evidence suggests that he um, wanted an open and uh, unbiased inquest. Although, you know, so he wrote, he wrote to the local magistrates and the JP saying, please, you know, do do everything you can to find out the truth. He didn't feign any kind of unnecessary grief so he wasn't sort of you know pretending to be the sorrowing widower nobody thought he was uh, particularly upset about it
0: He went away from court for a while too didn't he he had yes. to like leave Elizabeth
1: sent him away until until the inquest was over uh, she wouldn't she wouldn't have anything to do with him until his name had been officially cleared I mean there is a theory that Cecil was behind it that on the basis that um a man with a with a, a wife dead in un, you know surprising circumstances was a less likely match than a man who you know might have found some way of having his marriage annulled. I mean, especially with no children. I mean, I can imagine if anybody was going to lay a, a, a complex plot like that, then Sissel's your man. He was certainly certainly thought ahead, but th- there isn't any particular evidence about it. It's just I mean, the surprising thing is that she could have died falling down a fairly short staircase. Um, so, sorry, I was going to say, it doesn't seem that he was generally accused of it until the 1580s.
0: Oh, okay. So, so what, ha- take me through the timeline then. So that was 1560. Yeah. And then what happened? after? Well, that? what
1: happened? Definitely the relationship with Elizabeth became a little bit uh, less blatant. By 1564, she was even suggesting that he should marry the Queen of Scots, uh, an idea that uh, Robert certainly didn't like at all, because although he wanted to marry a queen, he certainly didn't want to marry the Queen of Scots and um, go off to Scotland. He wanted to marry Elizabeth. Then after that, he still hoped that she would marry him. And it seems that every time that another suitor, because of course, she had so many, um, both foreign and and at home came too close, he would muddy the waters, or she would almost use him as a a way of wriggling out of a marriage with anybody else I and mean, she'd flaunt a relationship with him, perhaps to discourage mm-hmm. uh, foreign foreign princes who might think twice about a, a wife who had uh, perhaps not the best reputation if she was um spending so much time with a with another man but he mm-hmm. he definitely spent quite a lot of time upsetting other marriage proposals. Possibly, on her orders, I mean we don't know, so as soon as as soon as one match was put forward, so for example the the Duke the, the Archduke of Austria Charles, he would then suggest of oh that you know the, the the King of Sweden was a much better match, or if the King of Sweden looked like he was in front, then he would suggest one of the other archdukes just to you know, keep everything um, up in the air rather than Elizabeth making a decision. Round about the 1568, he embarked on an affair, possibly then, possibly not till a little later with um, one of the Queen's relatives, actually, Douglas Howard, who was Lady Sheffield. Uh, and there are, there are some stories that he had an affair with her whilst she was still married. It's the only letter that appears to be between the two suggests it wasn't till after she was widowed. I mean, there are so many rumors and and scandals about him. It's very difficult to tell what happened when and how much is, has been suggested afterwards. Possibly married Douglas Sheffield in secret. Um, she said during Elizabeth's lifetime that they hadn't married. But then after Elizabeth's death, she said that they had. He certainly mm. he, he acknowledged their son, but he always said that they weren't married.
0: Then he, he had the great... Uh, pageant where he tried to woo... I mean, would you say that he was trying to win her over? Yeah, I think... Is yeah, that... I
1: think it was probably the last ditch attempt. It was 1575. She was she was 42 and he was either 42 or 43. His his birth date isn't certain. And it's almost it was the greatest pageant of her reign. He spent apparently some 60,000 pounds on it, which is uh, you know, some we can't even imagine what it would be in modern money. Uh she was with him for uh, 18 days at Kenilworth Castle and the whole thing was Just an extraordinary series of events from the moment she arrived, when she was met by a Sybil, um, you know, prophesying long life and good health. And then there was a pageant from the Lady of the Lake, and there's quite a lot of Arthurian um, symbolism. There were wild men who uh, from the, from the forest who appeared to be overcome by the beauty of this stranger didn't know she was a queen but um, recognized her as so as you know particularly beautiful and then there were uh, some local pageants that local people got involved with there was uh, you know, Robin Hood and Maid Marian and the the country wedding there was singing there was uh, cornets and there were oboes and there was um, picnics and hunting and fireworks and every kind of display that you can imagine but uh, if she was tempted, she didn't give in. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, it, it seems, it's a bit sad in a way. It seems almost like a last-ditch attempt, because you know, I think he uh, probably thought by then it was never going to happen. It was, it was almost like a, I don't know, a, a sort of a final love gift, really. I, I, and mm-hmm. I do think he, I do think he was genuinely attached to Elizabeth. I don't think it was all. I mean, I'm sure there was ambition in it, but I don't think it was all about ambition.
0: Mm-hmm. And the same with, for her with him. Do you think?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. No, uh, no. Quite. And she, she was very open about her her affection for him. Although she would sometimes describe their affection as 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 more of siblings than a, than anything else. Um, so I think it was a yeah sort of a kind of a mixture of romantic and and I suppose over you know over the thirty years of of her reign that he was. Alive during, you you can't you don't carry on at the you know the white heat of romantic love, especially if nothing ever comes of it. So, you know, they, but they were almost like a pair of old, old married old married people <laughs> by the end. He, yeah. he, she called him her eyes. She liked mm. to give them nicknames. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and she was distraught oh. at his death.
0: Right. So take me through then, he realized they weren't going to get married. And mm. so
1: then he got married again. He did. And... Yes. Another of Elizabeth's cousins, which uh, possibly the, the pictures of uh, Latisse Knowles, who was the Dowager Countess of Essex. She, she does look like Elizabeth, which does which suggests, you know, that it was a definitely a physical type that he was attracted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and Latisse seem to have actually been very happily married. She had four children by her first marriage. Uh, of whom he became very fond, uh, particularly her her son, Robert, Earl of Essex, whom um, he, he promoted or, uh, almost as though he were his own son. Uh, mm-hmm. The daughter, Penelope, she became the ward of um, Robert's sister and brother-in-law and the other children were mm-hmm. also very close to him. So they seem to have been quite a close family. Elizabeth was beside mm-hmm. herself with anger. She never forgave Latisse, who she called that she wolf. If it took her a while to forgive Robert. It was mm-hmm. it was probably two or three years before he was um really back in her good books. But then she just dealt with it by mm-hmm. sort of ignoring Latise's existence and keeping Robert at court as much as she could. But he seems to have been very fond of Latisse. I mean there's mm-hmm. no um you know, I'm not sure she was necessarily second best. They were happily married and I mean she outlived him by Forty-five years, I think, but she chose to be buried beside him, even mm-hmm. though she'd remarried. Mm-hmm. Yes, Elizabeth was not happy about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I can imagine. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I suppose she felt betrayed. You know that he he was the person who she was closest to, and now he'd gone, got himself a wife.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, what did she expect he was going to do? You know.
1: Well, yes, and I think that's how he, he he did think she was unreasonable, but um and I think they all thought she was unreasonable I mean she wanted to send him to the tower, but Sicil uh, had to point yeah. out that really he hadn't actually committed any crime by by marrying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: So then he was towards the end of his life was involved with the Spanish Armada and that was when he died right after that as well, right? Can you yes. tell me Yeah. Yeah, so
1: yeah. well throughout the 1570s, I mean, r- although um he was he was actually, um, uh, well, like all Elizabethans, uh, you know, a, really, a very religious man. He was uh, definitely on the um, more Puritan end of the of the scale amongst Elizabeth's um, ministers. So he would align with Walsingham, uh, Francis Knowles, his father in law, and Cecil, who were who were more Protestant than, say, some of the um, Ar- the Earl of Arundel, for example, who was who was a Catholic. Um, so he was always uh, very much in favour of. England and Elizabeth uh, supporting Protestants abroad and that's that's the policy that he supported throughout the 1570s and the early 1580s. Now as I mentioned earlier Elizabeth was very very reluctant to provoke Philip of Spain. Apart from anything else she wasn't that you know you, you know you, she didn't want to provoke him to the point of point of war and also she wanted to keep the balance between France and Spain which it was sort of the long term Tudor policy. But yeah, so Robert was, was very much in favor of uh, helping the, the Protestants in the Netherlands. And eventually, Elizabeth was worn down and she did commit um, money and men to it. As I say, he was chosen to, to lead the, the English troops in the Netherlands, but not with any great success. But the the result of it, of course, was that Spain was was provoked and that together with the execution of Mary Queen of Scots brought about the Spanish Armada. I mean, obviously, there's all sorts of complications, but that's the, the sort of basic idea. And Robert, he was chosen despite not having been terribly successful in the Netherlands. He was appointed as a Lieutenant General of the, the land forces and he set up the camp at Tilbury and invited Elizabeth to come along and review the troops. Rather touchingly, he, you know, people were worried about her safety and was certain that she was so loved that she would be quite safe in the camp, which turned out to be the case. And he was beside her when she made her famous speech about having the heart and stomach of a king. Uh, Yes. And then afterwards, they dined together in his tent, but he was feeling quite poorly. I mean, it was uh, within, within a few days that it became apparent that the Armada had been defeated by a combination of the weather and the Navy. And Mm -hmm. so Robert asked permission to retire from court to go to Buxton. He liked to go to Buxton to take the spa waters there. He'd been there two or three Mm -hmm. times and she gave him permission. So he and Latisse went off at the end of August 1588, but he didn't make it. He died, I think, on the 4th of September 1588. Mm -hmm. So it really took the shine off the defeat of the Armada for Elizabeth. She locked herself Mm -hmm. in her room for several days. And the story is that Sir Walter Raleigh actually had the door broken down. But... I don't know whether anybody would have dared to break the queen's door down but uh, mm mm-hmm. Yes. and yeah she kept his last letter that he'd written her en route to to Buxton for the rest of her life and it was found in a little box next to her bed when she died.
0: Mm so why did you choose him as the person of the month?
1: Well, because he, he is an interesting to and I think he's his reputation has always been very black and in particular there, there was a, an absolutely dreadful slanderous libellous pamphlet published in 1584 called well it had a very very long name but it's usually known as Leicester's Commonwealth in it he's accused of absolutely everything he didn't just murder amy he murdered douglas he murdered elatisas uh, husband he murdered douglas's husband he polished off um a, a french Cardinal, he tried to murder Sir Nicholas Throckmorton. I mean, you know, this list of crimes is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. He molested all of Elizabeth's ladies, and you know, so there's just this whole, uh, you know, really horrible things were written about him, and and the the mud stuck. I mean, Elizabeth didn't believe any of it, and she took the step of having the work banned, and she didn't normally. Um, make specific statements about things, um, you know, because there was quite a bit of scurrilous um, propaganda about. But she was very angry about this particular one, and she, um, as part of the proclamation suppressing it, she pointed out that it was actually a veiled attack on her, and that there's no way that she would be so lacking in judgment as to have a scoundrel of the, that sort as her minister. But it, it certainly stuck, and that's, I think, a lot of the 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 slanders in in Leicester's Commonwealth have shaded his historical reputation so I suppose we wanted to find out a bit more about him yeah and he's yes he he's interesting and I think he I, I don't know it always seems a little bit sad somehow you I you sort of get the impression that he just never quite he didn't quite marry the queen he he lost he and Latisse had a little boy who died um as a child, so he he couldn't achieve his ambition of uh, starting a new dynasty. He wasn't quite successful as in the Netherlands, so he was all he, he just never quite made it somehow. <laughs> but
0: <yeah.
1: laughs> and so, where can people go to learn more about him? Well, there I can't find a good solid biography of him. There's the Death and the Virgin that I mentioned that talks that's mainly about. Amy Robsart, but Chris Skidmore, who's very good, goes into a whole lot of other stuff. There's quite a lot about him in the books about Elizabeth, of course, because it is unfair to think of him as just her lover. He was an important part of her government. So Anne Somerset's Elizabeth I, that's a, that's a good source. Um, there is actually Uh, His his account books for a couple of years are available, which are interesting. There's a book by a chap called Derek Wilson called um, "The Uncrowned Kings of England: The Black Legend of the Dudleys," which is Mm. uh, talks about him and his father and his illegitimate son, or possibly not illegitimate son, his son by um, Douglas Sheffield. It's not sort of massively in depth, but it's an interesting introduction. So, no, it is actually. I think. I think. I think the world is, is due a biography of Robert Dudley, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything else we should know about him? What else? I He was... He, he was actually also a great patron of literature. And I think when we were talking earlier, we were thinking about was did Shakespeare attend the, the revels at Kenilworth? And of course, as you as you rightly pointed out, it was uh, not far from his home and there were an awful lot of uh, the local populace did go to see the Queen and so he may have done. But yeah, Lord Leicester had his players and right. he also yeah patronised quite a lot of of literature and yeah lit, literary works and translations and so forth. Yeah, so he was… He was was an intelligent man, a well-read. He was. He was a great. A lot of interest in mathematics and scientific uh, discoveries. He was also like Elizabeth. He patronised John Dee, you know, the the sort of alchemist, mm-hmm. stroke mathematician, sure. stroke. Yeah. So he was. He was a man, and because Elizabeth wouldn't have been interested in a stupid man. He was an intelligent, mm-hmm. well-educated, cultured man. Um, Mm-hmm. Ambitious, possibly. He would have been an interesting man to have dinner with. Oh, yes. Apart <laughs> unless he was going to poison you, because apparently he poisoned Margaret Lennox as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh. it's all very hard to believe. He was really busy. He with was, that, wasn't, wasn't he? he? Yes, yes. He had, and yeah. uh, um, in Leicester's Commonwealth, it talks about the the secret potion that he patronised Italian scholars. And of course, as soon as anybody said Italian, it, it was kind of synonymous with mm-hmm. poisoner mm-hmm. in those days.
0: Thank you again to Melita Thomas for taking the time to tell us about Robert Dudley. For more information on him, go to tutortimes.co.uk, or you can also see the resources available on the EnglandCast site at englandcast.com. And remember, if you like this show, the biggest way that you can help it to succeed is to leave a review on iTunes. It's the best thing you can do. You can also tell a friend about the show. I would love to see this community grow and become even more vibrant. The Facebook groups are so active and it's so great to see. And it would be so awesome to see even more people come into our our beautiful little community here. So the next time you're talking to your tutor friends, tell them to listen to the show, right? Because they like shows. They like tutors. Here's a show about the tutors. (laughs) So so I'm actually going to be taking a little break over Christmas, but don't worry, you're still going to hear my voice. It just won't be recorded right at the same time because what I'm going to do is actually pull the audio from some of the mini courses that I did this past year. Some of you might know I put together a little online mini courses for this community from time to time. And last year, I did a couple. One was on kick-ass tutor women. So I'm actually going to pull some of the audio from that and put that out on the feed so you can enjoy that even if you didn't get a chance to do the course live when we were doing it. So you'll still get to hear from me, but you won't hear from me live again until January. And at that point, I'm actually going to start doing a little bit of a a look at the Tudor England relationship with the Ottoman Turks, and especially kind of culminating in the Battle of Lepanto. So that's what we're going to do. Every January, we kind of do foreign policy. Last year, it was France. The year before, it was Spain and the Armada. So this year, we're going to be looking a little bit further east to the Ottoman Turks and the relationship and what was going on with Europe, with that relationship, and England specifically, of course. So I wish you all so much joy and peace and love. However you celebrate this time of year, if you're out with the Druids doing solstice stuff, if you're doing Hanukkah, if you're doing Christmas, if you're doing any variation of anything – I hope it's so much fun. I hope it's so cozy. I hope it's so warm. And I hope you have so much love surrounding you and wrapping you all up. And I am so grateful to you for listening to me this past year, for listening to me, those of you who have been with us for a long time. We're going on nine years here, guys. I started this podcast in 2009 and some of you have been with me since the very beginning and I'm so grateful to you. And I'm so grateful to those of you who just found me for listening. And really, I just love you all so much. I just am so happy that I get to talk about Tudor England like this and you let me. It's so amazing. So thank you. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Thank you for letting me be part of your year this year. Thank you to those of you who bought the Tudor Planner for letting me be part of your planning next year and your diarizing next year. And thank you for your continued listenership and support and friendship. You guys are awesome. All right, talk to you in January. Bye-bye.
1: Blow northern wind Ascent for baby sweating Blow northern wind Blow, blow, blow